Hey, Capri, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm going to be sharing the message today. And I can honestly say I haven't been this excited to preach in a long time. This is the first message of 2021. I don't know about you, but I am excited to leave 2020 in the past. I asked Pastor Dan if we could erect a giant statue of 2020 in the backfield and blow it up, but he said it wasn't in the budget. So instead, I'm going to show you a clip of somebody else doing that. Yes, doesn't that feel good? 2020 was a mess of a year, and I'm happy it's over. And if you're happy it's over, I would like you to please click that heart button and just let me know that I'm not alone. But I do have some bad news. Many of the problems that existed in 2020 still exist in 2021. At 11.59 on Thursday night, they did not magically disappear, no matter how much I was hoping they would. And today, we're going to talk about one of those problems. We're going to talk about loneliness, isolation. In fact, they say in a recent study that over 40% of Americans say that they frequently experience loneliness or isolation. By the age of 45, one in three Americans are chronically lonely. That this is something they wrestle with on a regular basis. And this one gets me. Over 30% of Americans say if they experienced a personal tragedy or emergency outside of their family, they have no one they could call for help. And that's heartbreaking. Quite literally, they say that when you experience chronic loneliness, you are 26% more likely to die a premature death. They say it has the same effect on the body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And that loneliness, if not treated, can lead to hopelessness, a void, an emptiness. And that hopelessness is spreading. Gen Z, our youth and younger, the second leading cause of death is now suicide. Suicide that stems from hopelessness, that often stems from loneliness. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because the pandemic, we don't know exactly how it affected those numbers, but I can promise you they didn't go down. In fact, they've gotten worse. There is a bigger emptiness, a bigger void than ever before. And so today, I want to present to you something I believe can cure that loneliness and that hopelessness. And it's right here. It's a chair. 
But before this is going to make any sense, we need to back up a little bit. And so we are going to open our Bibles today. We're going to be taking a look at the book of Luke, Luke 14. And this passage is going to be really important. Throughout this next year, we're going to return to it several times. It's going to help set the tone, the theme of what we do in 2021. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up with me today to Luke 14 and put a bookmark in there. Take that little ribbon marker and slide it right there on Luke 14. Now, if you don't have a Bible, first, drop me a message, drop me an email, and I will get you one. But for today, you can look over to the side or, or down underneath this video, depending on whether you're watching it on your computer or your phone. And one of the tabs there says Bible. And you can click that and you can click the drop down to Luke and then Luke 14. And I'm going to be using the New Living Translation. Now, how many of you have ever been hungry? If that, that's you, if you've ever been hungry, please click the heart button now. Let me know I'm not alone. Now, how many of you have ever been hangry? That's when you're so hungry, you're angry. If that's you, please click the heart button and let me know that I'm not alone. But I believe that there's actually one step above that. And this is when you are so hungry, you begin to daydream about food. In fact, you start noticing food creeping into each of the conversations that you're having. Now, if you've ever been that hungry, please click the heart button below and let me know that I'm not alone. Now, the reason I bring that up is that I believe that when Luke wrote his gospel, that's where he was at. As one commentary says that in the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Before the passage that we're going to take a look at today, there are four different instances of Jesus going into someone's home to share a meal with them. And that's a big deal, because in their culture, to go into someone's home and to sit at their table was to declare that you are equals. This upset the religious leaders. Because many times they saw Jesus eating with people they didn't think were worthy to have him, a rabbi, as a guest. In the chapter after the one that we're going to take a look at today, in Luke 15, we find one of the most famous stories in the Christian tradition. The story of the prodigal son. And right before that, we find the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And all three of those stories are kicked off by the Pharisees looking at Jesus and asking, why is he eating with such, and this is the actual word used in the Bible, scum? Why would he sit at their table? But this is a theme that we see over and over in Luke, and we're going to take a look at a story today where we see that very theme playing out. Now, Jesus had been teaching and in verse 15, one of the people, a man who had heard the teaching, well, this is what it says. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. 
It says, Jesus replied with a story. Jesus often tells these stories. Stories meant to teach us something about God. We call them parables. And this one is often called the parable of the great feast or the parable of the great banquet. And Jesus says, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, Come, the banquet is ready. Now, we're going to pause for just a second and talk about a little cultural thing that's going on there. And see, back then, there were no Facebook events or Evites. And so their invitation system worked a little differently. What would happen is that the master would decide that they were going to have a feast or a banquet, and they would send out the invitations to those that they would want to be there. And those individuals would either accept or explain why they couldn't come. And, uh, and then, on the day of the feast or the banquet, See, cooking wasn't the exact science that it, it kind of is today. They oftentimes didn't know exactly when the meal was going to be. And so the invitation would say the day, but not the time. But on that day, when they knew when it was going to be ready, they would send their servants out to inform the guests that, well, it's, it's almost time. You should, you should get ready now because the feast, the banquet, is just about ready. And so that's important because every individual that the servants are going to come talk to in this next little part, they've accepted the invitation. They've already said that they are coming. But here's what it says. Verse 18. But they began making excuses. One said, I have bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Now, I'm going to stop there and point out that these first two excuses, not sure if I'm allowed to say this or not, but they're BS. They're not valid excuses. They're not even telling the truth because people of the stature that the master would have invited well, they would never buy land without looking at it first. How many of you would buy a house on Craigslist having never been there before? You wouldn't decline an invitation to my party saying that you just won an eBay auction and you need to go look at the, the field you got. No, they would have checked all of this out beforehand. The second one, he says, I bought, I bought five pairs of oxen and I'm going to go try them out? Try that like it's a car you're going to go test drive? You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when I was in middle school and I liked a girl and I would call her. See, back then you had to actually call a girl using a phone that was attached to a wall by a wire. And I would, and I would ask them if they would want to go do something. And they would explain to me that they have to wash their hair. And there were a lot of middle school girls washing their hair at the exact time that I wanted to hang out. That's the kind of excuse that the master's getting. It's not valid. For whatever reason, they have just decided that they don't want to come. The third guest says this in verse 20, I just got married, so I can't come. 
Well, that feels like a really loaded statement. Does the wife just not like the master and so she said no? Or did they get married in the in-between time between being invited to the feast or the banquet and then this day when it actually happened? What, what is going on here that they would decline to come? This is also not normal. And you can imagine how the master feels. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you invite someone to something and they accept. And so you make all the preparations for them to be there. And then they're a no-show. There's a special kind of anger that comes from that. And that's the anger that we see in the master. In verse 21, it says, The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, invite the people that no one else would invite. Go out there and give them an opportunity to sit at the table. Can you imagine what it was like when they did? For, for someone to be approached, someone who doesn't get to do anything of this nature. And here comes a servant saying, there's a seat for you. There's probably a lot of disbelief there. But then to show up and realize it's true. <laughs> it says, after the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for more. This was a big feast. This was a big banquet. So the master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so the house will be full. In other words, so the party can start. There's a little word in here that's important. In the New Living Translation, the word is urge. In some of the more traditional translations, the word is compel. Compel them to come. And throughout church history, this passage, this verse, because of that word, has sometimes been abused. It's been said that Augustine used that passage, that word, compel, to persecute non-Christians in hopes of compelling them to become a part of the faith. That he would go out and attempt to do this with force and aggression. Now, if any of you have ever worked with a teenager before, you know that trying to get someone to do something, trying to urge or compel them to do something using force and aggression usually doesn't get you the result that you're hoping for. And so I actually think that there's a different interpretation of that word, of this passage. See, the cities back then had gates, had walls around them with, with gates in them. You see several stories where it says that Jesus approached the city gate. And those outside of the gate, well, there was a reason there was a gate. They weren't supposed to come in. And they wouldn't have wanted to be caught inside the gate because the city authorities would, would punish them. They're supposed to be outside and they're inside. And so you can imagine this servant going to them 
and having to do a little work, a little urging, a little compelling to convince them, no, no, I'm serious. It's going to be okay. You're allowed to come in because there's a seat for you. Can you imagine their surprise when they're finally, when they finally come around to believing and they show up and there's a spot at the table? No wonder this is a party, a banquet, a feast. What an amazing sight that would have been. And then it ends with this kind of hard verse at the end. It said, for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. In other words, the only people I want here are the people that want to be here. And that's the story that Jesus tells to show them, to tell them what the kingdom of God is like. Now, I want to tell you two stories. They take place around the same time, just around five years ago. And the first one is of a 19-year-old girl who posted an ad on Craigslist to rent a family for her birthday. It says, hi, I'm currently a young female college student looking to rent a family that I can spend time with on my birthday in a few weeks. I aged out of foster care, and since I was never adopted, I don't have a family to spend holidays or my birthdays with. I was placed in foster care after being severely abused by my parents, so spending time with my biological parents is not an option. I am not a weirdo or anything, I was just inspired by another girl that rented a family from Craigslist in California for the holidays. I just want one day that I can feel important and special. And like I matter, even if I really don't. I have never had a good birthday. So I figured, why not this birthday? I am not looking for any monetary support. As I also work, I can pay $8 an hour. Wow. If your heart doesn't hurt, check your pulse. That is devastating. Now, thankfully, there were people that saw that ad and stepped up and poured out love upon her. But the fact that she even had to post the ad, hopelessness, Loneliness. Now, I want to tell you another story about a table. This is quite amazing. So a young man gets a text. This is what it says. Thanksgiving dinner is at my house on November 24th at 3 p.m. Let me know if you're coming. I hope to see you all. Of course, that includes Amanda and Justin. To which this individual replied with a typo, who is this? To which she replied, your grandma. To which he replied, grandma, can I have a picture? And she sends one. To which he replies, you are not my grandma. 
Can I still have a plate though? To which she replies, of course you can. That's what grandmas do. <laughs> Feed everyone. And here's what's crazy. He shows up and there's a seat for him. Like there's a spot at the table and he shares Thanksgiving with this grandma and her family. And it became a tradition. And they've done it every year since. But this year was even more meaningful. Because see, the grandma, her husband of over 40 years, passed away due to COVID-19. And so they were planning on canceling it. But there was that void, that emptiness popping up again. So they worked hard and they found a way that they could be tested for COVID to know that it was going to be okay for them to meet together. And they did. And they had Thanksgiving together. Here's a picture. Two stories. One of them about somebody who reached out and said, there's a seat for you. How awesome is that? I believe that's what so many people in the world need to hear. There's a seat for you. Now I want to go back to that chair that I showed you earlier. So I turned that chair into a little logo that you can see here. And this is going to be our theme for, for 2021. This is the phrase I want everyone in our church to know. If you make it through this year and do not know the phrase, there is a seat for you. Well, I don't know what's wrong with you because we're going to try really, really hard. So this is a three-week series where we're going to be taking a look at this parable and what it means for us. And by the time this series ends, we're going to be launching an all-new website that makes it easier for people to find things and discover who we are. And I'm taking this logo, and we're printing it on mugs and stickers that we're going to have available to you guys. I'm going to make it easy for you guys to order shirts and hoodies with this logo on it. Why? Because I want people to see this chair. And I want them to ask you, what's that about? I want them to walk by your desk or your counter and see a mug with a chair on it and ask, what does that mean? And I want you to be able to look at them and to say those words, that there's a seat for you, that there's a place there's a place in what God's doing for you. That there's a place at this church at Caw Prairie. There's a place in our online service or our in-person service or in our small group. There's a place for your children, your youth, your special needs family members. There's a place. There's a seat for you. It's so that we can be like the servant in this story and that we can go out there and that we can find those that are wrestling with hopelessness or loneliness and that we can look at them and we can tell them there's a seat 
for you. You know, when, when I found out that there was a job here at Caw Prairie, Sally, my wife, and I, we did something. We went undercover. We actually came to visit the church a couple times just to check it out before we began that process. And there was a reason for it. This church is a lot different than the church or the churches that I grew up in. Y'all are Lutherans and Presbyterians, and I was Baptist, and there just had a different feel to it. And I wanted to make sure that this was a place that I was going to be, well, that I was going to fit, that I was going to be a good match for. So we came to visit. And, and both of those weeks, Pastor Dan got up to lead communion. And he stood there, and, and he looked at everybody. And instead of telling the church who wasn't allowed to take this, he told the church who was allowed to take this. He said, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, no matter what sin is in your life, no matter what is going on in your life, if you feel something in your heart that says you need this, the table is open. There's a seat for you. And that hit me. It was then that I knew this was a place that I wanted to be. I want to end with one more story. It was Christmas Eve two years ago. We were out at the barn. It was the last service, the 11 p.m. It's my favorite. It's an intimate service. We're all a little worn out, but it's good. It's the one we get to take communion at because it's not as crowded. And that year I got to lead it. And I gave an introduction that kind of echoed the introduction that I heard Pastor Dan give. That I've heard him give so many times. And uh, then we began to serve. And this woman comes up to me. She looks at me. She kind of leans in. She goes, are, are you sure? Like, are you sure I'm allowed to, to, to take this? I'm not a part of the, I, are you sure? I got to look at her. And I got to tell her, there's a seat for you. The table's open. You're invited to the feast, the banquet. And I got to serve her. And I watched her take the bread and dip it in the wine. It was a beautiful moment. God used that moment to remind me how powerful it is for us to go out into the world and to invite people to the feast, to the banquet that God is throwing, to, to invite them into the kingdom of God, to look at them and remind them that there's a seat for you. It's going to be a good year. I cannot wait to see what God does through our church 
in 2021.